Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Reese Show, where we interview experts to help you understand where technology is headed and how it will impact society as a whole and also your daily life. Thanks so much for learning with us and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Today, I interview Danielle Strockman, who is this really amazing person who's thinking about she both started a charter school, like a project-based learning charter school in San Diego. She was part of the founding team of the Teal Fellowship, and then also um, is a like a VC and a general partner at Fifteen Seventeen Fund, which funds like dropouts. And she just has a really amazing perspective on the current state of education and also how to change it, especially from a student-centered perspective. So, if you're trying to think about how to help young people in the world from ages 13 through 18, I think this is, she has a really powerful perspective on how to give them more freedom and autonomy. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hello, fellow pluralists. I'm Reese, the co-founder of Root, and welcome to The Reese Show. This century is a turning point in human history, and I'm here to help you navigate it. I hope you come away with a new understanding of the scientific, technological, and societal trends that are poised to radically reshape our world, and how you can work with those trends to become a live player in building a solar punk future. And to chat about someone who's helping live players build solar punk futures, uh, I'm excited to chat with Danielle Strockman. Danielle has been helping young folks succeed her entire career, was part of the founding team of the Teal Fellowship, uh, and is a co-founder and GP at the 1517 Fund. Yeah. Danielle, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me and being here. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. And we're here at Danielle's place. And yeah. we, there are cats that are here. So <laughs> if probably we... bounce in and out of shots. If, if one of them comes by, I might Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We'll add them to Here's the screen. Yeah. yeah. So if we're lucky, that'll happen. Um, oh, it'll definitely happen. At some point, you're probably going to be like, this one needs to get off my lap now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> pay attention. Okay, buddy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm just excited to... Danielle and I were chatting about this beforehand, but Danielle has this cool perspective where she's trying to really help and empower young folks. And it's not just like when you're 22 to empower them, but it's like, how can we do it before that as well? Mm. And I think I want to, so the goal for the listeners is to understand like how you think in your your learnings about empowering young folks Mm. and also maybe a little bit of a pushback uh, later in the second half of the show about like how you think about empowering folks in the VC ecosystem and that kind of thing as well. Um, So... But to start, I, just, I guess I want to ask you, what got you excited about helping young folks, um, yeah, succeed? Yeah, um, I'll try to make a very long story short, yeah. but I, um, I was doing what a lot of people do when they're growing up and entering early adulthood in terms of sort of following the, the uh, sort of work escalator and the school escalator yeah. of I had done undergrad, I was thinking I was going to become a clinical neuropsychologist actually, uh, I was working in a neuropsych department and I really enjoyed the work and I what I actually really enjoyed was the kudos that I got from other people for doing the work. Mm-hmm. So other people would be like, oh neuropsych, you must be so smart, you must be this and mm-hmm. I was like, yes, yes I am, you yeah. hitting me on the head. Um, and what I noticed was something really interesting, and I didn't know anything about um, sort of memetics or how people think about what they go towards. But I noticed mm. a big difference when I was, I did go to college, and I noticed a big difference when I would go to a party and say to somebody, oh, I'm really interested in education. It was like snooze fest, mm-hmm. like people sort of walking out of the conversation. But as soon as I said, oh, I'm working on, on uh, neuropsych, oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and I was very driven by that. Uh, so at one point, um, early on in my career, I was headed down the neuropsych path. I was applying for grad school, and I got into a grad school. And sometimes when you have the choice of something, I notice that's when that's when it's really real. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, I have to like sign off on this paperwork. And Next say, five years, do this. you know. Yeah. And for a PhD program, it's at least seven. Yeah. And, and and I remember thinking to myself, gosh, I might come out of the educational industrial complex being almost 30 years old and never like having like really worked. Um, and that seemed disturbing to me. Both of my parents are small business owners. And so I also learned growing up that you make your own money and you sort of make your own path. And that was just through osmosis. They weren't, they weren't like, um, you know, they weren't like selling that to me or anything. It was just what I noticed in the home. And so I started rethinking things and thought about what, like, well, what would I do? And I noticed, you know, I, uh, one, I, I knew I didn't want to go to school for at least seven more years. 
And in addition, I started noticing the reason I'm going to school and doing this is because it seems like other people want me to, not because I'm super into it myself. Like, as much as I was um, sort of good at the work that I was doing in neuropsych, I wasn't, like, eating and drinking and sleeping it. Like, that passion piece wasn't there for me. Mm -hmm. At least I didn't feel enough. And so I kept thinking, what am I really passionate about? And I kept going back to teaching. But what also kept coming up was things like, you know, I've grown up with the adage of those who can't teach, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. terrible pay, yep. it's, it's terrible work, like, you know, public education is um, just That's abysmal, issues, yeah. right, exactly. But then I thought, well, maybe I can do it in a different way, and so I started doing private tutoring. Mm, cool. um, and that really opened things up. Because through a random happenstance, I started working with a homeschooling family. And I knew people who had done alternative education in different forms growing up, but I had never been like deep into it. And then working with this one homeschooling family started opening up that whole landscape. And it was so viscerally different to go over to a homeschooler's house. I remember the first time showing up to this, um, this mom, Nancy's house. Um, I should send her some of these podcasts because I'm yeah. like always talking about Nancy. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I remember getting there and like all of her children ran to the door and we're like, oh, you're here. Yay. Let's learning. do math and yeah. science. And yeah, you're yeah. learning. Yeah. Can you stay for two more hours today? And I was like, this is so different because I worked with public school students and I worked with private students and anyone who was in a more traditional school, I was there like a bandaid on a bullet wound. It yeah. was like, I'm here to do homework help. I'm here to attempt to get you up to speed X number of grade levels because you're, you're already multiple years behind um, it just didn't feel very good. It was like I was supporting people, but um, not in a way that I felt like was really able to make a, a true difference to them. And so this self-mission kind of came about of bringing freedom and autonomy to young people yeah. when I started working, especially with homeschoolers. And that has really been the North Star of my whole career. Yeah. Um, but that's the beginning of it. No, I love it. I love it. That's yeah. great. I think that there's a, um, and, I, and actually I like it when folks answer questions like that of like, how, what were their like founding catalyzing mm-hmm. moments for that? Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, what did you do after 20? It's like, no, no, no like what made you yeah, go down totally. this path? Yeah. It's, um, I think one part of that that I think is powerful is a, Thinking about the education world as the educational industrial complex, I think is a helpful, and and again, there's pros and cons to all these things, but I think that like for me, when I was teaching at MIT, at the MIT Media Lab, Mm -hmm. it was like I was deep in the educational industrial complex and I was even, you know, of the schools, MIT is the most weird and kind of techie. Yeah, and MIT Media Lab was even more funky and I was in the cryptocurrency crew, which is even more funky funky. and it was still like, too much bureaucracy. (laughs) And so I think it also makes me just think about when you start to view it from that lens, my friend who just finished his PhD, he, yeah, seven years, eight years, some ridiculously long thing, Mm. he talks about his whole PhD was actually like hating on the process. Oh, yes. Yeah, which was cool. And he said that there's a market for PhD labor, but no market for PhDs. And it was just like, yeah. So being able to view these things as factories and systems. Oh, yeah. And I had seen so many friends who are in PhD programs leave early and go get hired by basically like fan companies and stuff like that um, and get burnt out, a lot of mental health issues. And, yeah, lots of ego, too. I remember um, (laughs) interviewing during, like, my graduate school interviews and... I just remember thinking, I can't believe I sat and like the interview was actually really me interviewing the professor about how awesome they were. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I just, I, I didn't know. I was really naive and I didn't understand that that was part of the process was basically like kissing lots of ass yeah. and stuff like that. There was, there was zero interest on the like incoming student side or there was, um, yeah, there was nothing that felt like. Why should they be trying to court me? It was me, like me trying to get into their lab. Yeah. Um, There's just the power dynamics that are so crazy. That's yeah. just like you, if you get that golden ticket of becoming that person on the other side, right. then you're just like, okay, you have control over everybody. Then you could, so yeah, it's, yeah. So there's some negatives to that system. Totally. And maybe, let me ask you, if you imagine, if you can you know, wave your magic wand, sure. what would the educational experience for a student feel like from age roughly... I don't know, zero through 18 or something? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this touches on a little bit of my work with my charter school, actually. Mm -hmm. So I have a charter school in San Diego called Innovations Academy, which I also love that it's called that because it also, the abbreviation is IA, which is also intelligence augmentation. Mm -hmm. And I was in those communities early and it wasn't like, oh, we're (laughs) going to have this alignment here, but I I love that piece of it. Um, But one of the things that we think about a lot at our school is actually like, 
there's a couple foundational layers we believe to learning Mm -hmm. um, and those things are non-coercion and relationship and um, I not enough people talk about non-coercion and learning I think it's something that it's like being a, a fish in water. People think, oh, you, you have to make people motivated by hitting them with sticks or putting carrots out. Um, and this is just a belief system. Uh, and for us at our school at Innovations Academy, and we work with you know, students who are five to uh, about like 13 or so, mm-hmm. um, it really is about developing that relationship with a student and understanding what are their likes, what are their dislikes, um, what do they enjoy about being in a classroom with other people? What don't you know they enjoy about it? Uh, we always said things too, like so many things are happening for children, and uh, you know on the smallest scale, it could be like someone's goldfish dies and you're in kindergarten. How are you supposed to do? Yeah. How are you supposed to learn that day if you're like holding on to like oh man, you know, Goldie, Goldie. is no more. <laughs> yeah. um, so we always have time during the day in the morning. We have morning meetings and things like this to talk about. Hey, how's everybody doing? Mm-hmm. And learning about each other and I think nowadays this doesn't sound so novel but when we started the school um, gosh it's I haven't done the exact calculation but about 15 years ago social emotional learning was Mm -hmm. not heard of Mm -hmm. I mean we were talking about integrating things like nonviolent communication into our curriculum yeah exactly (laughs) things like this no one had heard of it no one was doing it Um, our first class of students um, we started K-8, which everyone told us not to do, and now I understand why not to do that, because you have to build up culture, and and it takes time to do that. But we just opened K-8 anyways, because everybody kept saying, but I have, you know, I have an older child who would love this, and I love this, and we're like, okay. Um, And uh, our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders would call that curriculum so emo. They were like, what's this so emo thing? And now, social-emotional curriculum is like everywhere, and that said, I think this non-coercion piece is really important with social, social emotional curriculum, and I don't think like almost nobody does it. Um, so that's really important um, within education. And then we believe that learning scaffolds on top of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, our preferred methods are really um, like project-based service learning, where it's hey, we're doing a project, and it's like going out into community somewhere and having an impact and. Uh, another thing we talk about is using what's called like an essential question. Hmm. It's getting at, um, you know, for example, a, a question might be, you know, um, how do symbols affect our world? Yeah. I mean, that could even be in kindergarten, like symbols yeah. of like shapes of, hey, yeah. where do we see hexagons and triangles? And this? there's yeah. not one right answer to this question. It's much broader. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really how we take things. You know, we, we do believe that, you know, you need to get the basics of, you know, reading and mathematics, but even that can be very personalized um, within the classroom. Yeah, I love it. I think, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things there. I think the cool thing from your perspective is like, you can imagine a kind of, um, like, and I think for some listeners, and by the way, most listeners are just kind of like interdisciplinary mm-hmm. techno societal folks, but yes, um, lifelong learners. <laughs> exactly, yes. welcome. Hopefully that's you. <laughs> um, the, uh, but I think that um, some folks might view like, oh, TO fellowship, blah, 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 and like, oh, you're just like off on this other route, like just being like, screw the state, you know, whatever kind of thing sure, that they sure. might just even the words. But then yeah. there's all these things that you're talking about, which are like, no, like we're trying to help the kids in these ways. And so I think oh, yeah. it is. I think that it's cool that you have, and it's also just thinking about like other like VCs and stuff. It's like so you, that don't have that like background that you bring in. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. I also want to pop some other things off sure, the stack yeah. here. One of them is the non-coercion piece. Wow. Yeah. So I super agree with the water you swim in. And my friend who does research on pre-K education was mm-hmm. talking about there is an issue. There was a recent Noah Smith piece about pre-K education is daycare, oh, yeah. and it shows a graph of. Yeah. Um, uh, this effects long-term effects of pre-K yeah. and how uh, they never scale and so it's just mm-hmm. kind of like uh, so it's like oh pre-K in theory it's so good mm-hmm. but actually maybe it has no impact um, and I was asking my friend yeah. who does deep research about this and she was saying that the main thing that you need to have is play yes 100% you, you just let them play yeah 100% yeah absolutely <laughs> um, so that that makes me think of that yeah. I also think that the I love how you combine project-based with service learning. Yeah. I think the project-based is good, where you're like, okay, you're actually doing something, yeah. you're going to ship something yeah. or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, we used but, to always say our classrooms like, felt like a startup, and they really did. It was like sort of this 
sometimes a chaotic uh, room of like people doing all these things all over the place. But it, again, it was like that doing piece. Yeah, and people are making random crap yeah, over here exactly. and over yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but and you're doing it, but then you're like actually saying, oh. Is this "quote unquote" creating value for the world? Is right. this like you're out there and you're interfacing right. with reality just right. a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> right. Finding Oops. out from communities what they need and um, yeah, how how something could actually make an impact somewhere. Yeah. And, and children, I think. Um, I mean, one of my whole sort of things is about not infantilizing people, and that's yeah. not, even past like the childhood level of. Um, we're constantly telling people, oh, no, you have to wait until you do X. You have to get older. You have to be bigger and stronger. You have to get a certain level of education. Now you have to have your first job. And then maybe you can do these other things. And what we always talk about is, you know, but like the time is now. And for the fellowship, the motto that we had when I was there in the first five years of some ideas just can't wait. Yeah. Um, and, and why not? And so it's the same thing at my charter school of like, hey, yeah, let's let's try to do something. And um we think about this too at fifteen seventeen. It, it's interesting how like there's a lot that sort of like goes in between my thoughts on education and, and how they fit into the fund. But mm-hmm. one of the things that comes up is um, now I'm like cat distracted. I'm like, yeah, oh, there's a cat. There's a cat right here. Yeah, exactly. Come here, Grady. You get to be speaking on the of non coercion. This is Grady. Look, the cat is being coerced into love, exactly. but it's a well. It's interesting. I, I don't use any punishment models with my cats. Like, so I, I extend this all the way into as many you radiate love yeah, things exactly. as yeah. I can. Yeah, yeah. Boundaries are important. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly, exactly. But yeah, but um, let me see if I can get back on my train. You're of saying the, you're how the teaching oh, background connects yes, to. No, so what, what was uh, what was coming to my mind is that with our founders, we'll often say things like, "No matter what the outcome is of someone's startup or the research, like we do a lot of R and D checks into early, early stage companies that are really R and D that will become companies later, is that the outcome actually like yes, of course we would love it for it to turn into an amazing company." But if the research comes back and it's like, wow, we all learned a lot here and this was important work to do and the outcome wasn't a startup, that's okay with us. And I think the same thing is true with learning of like in our project-based learning classrooms, it's not about that the outcome was you know, exactly what we want it to be, but it was about uncovering information and doing discovery on something that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Yep. Yeah, I love that. It's like, if you go out there and you're like your project, you're trying to help the local uh, food shelter or whatever, yeah. and then that you accidentally, the food that you like, no one wanted the Takis or whatever, and so they don't eat them. Right. Oh, um, guess yeah. what? People don't want tons of cans of beans. Yeah, like, exactly. oh, yeah. we figured it <laughs> Who out. Who would have thought? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah, that's interesting. I think the other thing I think I want to just hit here is the essential question. I think mm. that is such a... Mm-hmm. It makes me think of this thing that I was um, a frame that I had on this was like I'm trying to help young people speed run the most essential questions, mm. which is ah, like there are a mm. bunch of essential questions. How did humans become different than apes? Like how did we become a special thing? You know, yeah. like that's an essential yeah. question. And there's yes. all and there's tons of essential questions. What yeah. is love? Or you yeah, know, sure. um, yeah. and so just like presenting, there's probably a, a, like a thousand of. I don't. Know, I mean, there's yeah. there's infinite of them, yes, but I yes. think. And starting with, like, why would you guys start with those questions? Why was that a crucial part of the thing? Well, and one of the things that I find interesting is is um, our our teachers and staff at the school is really, they're really facilitating. So it's not that the staff is saying, these are essential questions and we're giving them to you. Mm-hmm. It's that as a classroom, everybody is coming up with, hey, how do we want to look at this? What's a question or multiple questions we could frame around these things? And coming up with these questions together of, like, what would be really interesting to think about here? Um so for us, I think it, it goes back to this piece of discovery of saying, like, we want learning to be about uncovering something and not about getting to a particular destination. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, like, certain reading, there's certain books that come up, like there's a book called The Ethics of Excellence, which mm-hmm. talks about essential questions mm. um, and uh, just sort of, like, different pedagogy where some of this has, has also surfaced from. Cool. But... Um, but yeah, we just think it's important to uncover knowledge and like the way that you do that is through sort of like a big open question or a hypothesis around something. And you and kind of your explore the rabbit yeah. holes and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this also, I mean, this, I mean, me, obviously I'm pilled into various things like sure. this. So I'm like, yeah, yeah this sounds great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, like quote unquote, were there results or what are the downs, you know, like sure. how, how, how has the school gone, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, um, our school opened actually, uh, we opened in 2008. So it was during a, a yeah. major downturn 
it's interesting to think about it because I didn't, I wasn't in the world of finance. I wasn't thinking that way at all. And so it's interesting to think about that. Yeah, there were eight charter schools in San Diego that opened during that time. And we are one of two that mm. has been able to make it through all yeah. of those things. And so one thing we learned a lot about was that it's not just about having students and running the school. It's about being able to keep financially solvent and ups and downs. And there were all kinds of things, too, where it's like, yes, we get state money, but you don't always get it reliably. And mm. as a new organization, you don't have access to loan pools or credit or anything. So we definitely had times where, you know, the Sunday night call to parents, please bring in toilet paper this week. Yeah. Please bring in reams of paper. Um, or I, we had to tell our staff, you know, one day, hey, you know, we just found out today the district money isn't coming. We don't have enough in the bank account to pay mm-hmm. you this week. Mm-hmm. Like, we, like, the money on paper is there, yeah. but we need to wait now until next week to do it. Like, can everyone hold on to their hats and, mm-hmm. you know, and do this? Yep. And they did, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it takes a lot to run something. Um, so just the fact that the school actually still exists yeah. after all this time is a testament in itself. Um, anecdotally, I am Facebook friends with a bunch of students okay. that started early in the school. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see that we heard from a lot of students, especially in the early years. What I noticed was that the first year to two years of the school, it felt like this like large group therapy session. Mm-hmm. Children were coming from all over the county and they were telling us all the time, oh, my teacher used to do this, or they'd shame me this way, or, you know, I thought I was dumb. And mm. and we'd have parents come back, even when a student had been there just for one year. Um, and then they would go to high school, and we'd think, gosh, like, we didn't really have them enough time to really make that much of a difference. Mm. But those parents would come back and say... You know, my daughter's loving high school. Our school has a no stupid homework policy. Like, mm-hmm. we don't do worksheets or any of yeah. that. And so we, we'd also be nervous about, oh, is, uh, you know, how's that homework thing going to yeah. go later on? Oh, that year at IA was so great because, like, my student really loves learning again. And mm-hmm. they had hated it forever. And mm-hmm. now they're in high school and they're doing the homework. Or we heard from lots of parents about... Um, because we had the no homework policy, like, oh, my child has taken up independent reading by mm-hmm. themselves yeah. again. Or we would have students in the classroom who would say, you know, oh, you know, we have this idea, you know, now like passion projects are totally a thing. But at the time, again, people like this idea wasn't really present in the school system. Students would come to us and say, like, I really just want to do a passion project and present on something. And can I do that? And we're like, sure. <laughs> like, of course you can do that. Um, so it's it's been interesting to see. Um, yeah, a lot of students have like thrived in our community and then our job is to try to find high schools that kind of embody some of that and there's more of them now so that has been helpful. Um, Sometimes what's been interesting too is sometimes people, not so much as of late because especially now I think a lot of students come in in the earlier grades, it's Mm -hmm. like kindergarten, first, second, and they grow up in the culture of our school. So they view our school as normal. We're not Uh the alternative school. Mm -hmm. We're we're just normal school for them, Mm -hmm. which is great. When I was there in the early days, a lot of students were coming because the traditional classroom wasn't working for them. And some parents would almost use our program like a therapeutic program, or they'd be like, oh, they... They're doing so great this year. So wonderful. We're going to put them back in the neighborhood school down the street. And then they would. And then usually within three months, they'd be back. Because they were like, oh, we get the difference now. Like, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so it sounds like yeah. a success, all things considered. I mean, yeah, it, it survived. Yes, and, it, and, and the kids ha- you know, went yeah. to good places. Yep. Is there, I guess, the, the question I have is like, like, I guess a classic thing that comes to mind is I think about your, this model versus yes. the, like, no excuses, KIPP, you know, yes. Uh, yes, model. Yes, 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 and in yes. some ways, they are super different. Very different. Yeah. yeah. But in some ways, the KIPP model, I mean, when you look at some of their, like, oh, these kids, you tell them that they're going to go to college, you make mm-hmm. that expectation, and then their rates of getting into college are higher mm-hmm. in various ways mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I guess, how, like, does a school, I guess I could imagine someone saying, you know, Dan- Danielle, this sounds great, but, like, does this work for, like, the low-income yeah. kids who, sure. like, really need the, like, structure or whatever? Sure. I'm not sure if that's a... Yeah, what do you think about that? You know, it's interesting because our school moved... We moved at least three times, if not, like, four <gasps> or five. Oh, Ooh, did we... Let's see. Did we blank out? What? It, this is a version of blanking out, but oh, it didn't. There we go. That. We'll All right. The, yeah. Our school moved uh, at least three times. If I, I may be, like, having, like, moving trauma <laughs> yeah. where I can't quite remember. It was 12. It was but 12 times. Right. Yeah. We did move a lot as a school, <laughs> and we moved to different neighborhoods. And it was very interesting to see, like, okay, yes, we're in a low-income neighborhood now. These students need different types of support than we're if we're in a different kind of neighborhood. 
Um, and we found that at least on the day to day, what we really learned was that like, you know, you talked about earlier how sometimes people will think, um, you know, education is kind of like babysitting or something like that. There is a societal function of that parents need a place for children to go that is like safe and good uh, and ideally also has learning opportunities uh, embedded in it. And what we found was that when we worked with populations um, that had more need, we needed to think about how we served them more. Mm -hmm. So I remember when we first opened the school, we had all these like highfalutin, like, oh, we're going to be working at the top of Maslow's hierarchy and (laughs) self-actualization and this social-emotional curriculum and all this stuff. And we were doing a lot of that. And what we were finding out was like, our students are coming to school uh, because of the first neighborhood we were located in, and they don't have food. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the uh, discipline style at home is extremely different than what we do at school and we need to educate parents more. And so um, I think we were able to make a lot of like positive impact in those students. I don't have like the data on like how many of our students go to college, like how many do this, how many do that. That would be interesting to find out more like now 15 years later of like, okay, where where do these students sort of go? It's also interesting to tie it because as far as I know, they all go to high school. Mm-hmm. And then after high school, like something else is happening. Yeah. But we, ha- that's that the assessment piece of school is always really hard. Yeah. Um, and that is something that we haven't totally cracked the nut on yet. Um, but it would be good to do more retrospective on like, okay, here's what happens to an IA student. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And I think, as you said, it's like, do you have to like meet them where they are to some extent? Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that... And let me ask maybe let me ask one other question here on on the kind of the the future. So pretend that you are. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess what do you think? So in some ways, what school should look like mm-hmm. is um, what I you know what IA look like or mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And in some mm-hmm. ways, though, if you like imagine the bigger picture, what do you think? I'm thinking about like the future of micro schools oh, and sure. like that whole yep. stuff. Like yep. you know, from more of like going to VC lens or sure, like sure. what do you think that like school should look like in thirty or fifty years? Gosh, that's so interesting. Um, you know, I'm just real. I'm really into educational choice. And so I wouldn't say like schools need to look sort of like very similar across the board. It's like for some students, like typical school, if you will, works really well for them. Um, for some students, something like project based works better for them. Um, some students are more like nature based in how they learn. Some kids love technology. Like there's all sort of these different ways of doing it. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in in my heart of hearts, like, I love homeschooling and love the way of thinking about, like, and even more so thinking about it just as independent study of, like, how do we give more young people the ability to do that independent study, whether that's through micro schools. Um, but I don't have, like, a perfect, like, this is exactly what I think it would look like. Um, you know, one thing that I love, uh, one of our companies is actually called CoLearn. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they, they named it CoLearn. Um, and my understanding is there's also another CoLearn that I think is in Korea. I might be wrong about this. So, the, so it's yeah. not that one. Yeah. It's the U.S.-based one. Um, but the idea that they had in naming it that was like there's this idea of co-working with people and there, there are centers to do things. It's like we should have co-learning too. Mm-hmm. Of like, hey, there are centers where people would go together to think about and work on projects and just have sort of that open structure for, um, for, yeah, for doing something with, with peers, multi-age, mm-hmm. um, maybe even like co-learning and co-working in the same place. I, I think a lot of parents found some interesting outcomes over the pandemic with like co-learning and co-working at home, which were both very difficult, but also some families really thrived in it and were like, Oh, we're really liking this environment. We're getting to be with our children more often. Our children are getting to be with us. And mm-hmm. now they're kind of part of the workday and picking up things mm-hmm. through osmosis. So, yeah, I think, I guess my idea would probably be something like, yeah, like this co-learning idea of like being able to do things together. How that scales, how that's like VC model. <laughs> I think there's like lots of, <laughs> lots of questions for what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, great. No. There. Yeah, that's great. I think I think um, yeah, you're not totally sure, but something. I think you, know, you get a long way if you just have the idea 
that we should give kids freedom and autonomy. Yeah. And then that leads to homeschool like models, yeah. leads to co learning yeah. spaces, leads to primer, you know, the company primer like yeah. things. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and so I think that um, that all makes a lot of sense. Let's transition to the VC side for a second now, which is so. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, fifteen seventeen fund, and I don't I don't know you guys that well, but yeah. I know that like it's just like looking at your site, it's kind of this funny like one of the things that you say you it's it's deep tech. Um, dropouts and something else. And yeah. I think the deep tech and the, especially the dropouts, the yeah, dropouts yeah. is like, hey, if you went to school, sorry, you're not going <laughs> to, you know, like you got to drop out of high school. Or, or, so tell, tell, yeah, me, yeah, more tell me more about, about what, yeah. um, why dropouts. Yeah. You know? yeah. So the idea there, and yeah, there's two, two main, I mean, I guess three main groups. We work with students who don't have an undergrad degree. Yeah. We work with people who are consciously choosing not to get an undergrad degree and so have dropped out of something or have never gone to something so it's like if you never went you can't drop out Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we like to talk about like renegade uh, sort of sci-fi tech founders where it's Mm, like okay that's our exception to the rule of like okay maybe you're PhD'd up but you're working on quantum computing and it's just super super interesting and there's not enough funding for really early stage research and we've been able to help with that but excuse me, the reason behind sort of that dropout is from our time at the Till Foundation, where we said, you know, this sort of wacky idea of, well, instead of a young person maybe paying $100,000 to go to undergrad and spending four years there, what if we gave someone in that age group uh, $100,000 mm-hmm. as a grant, and we gave them two years to really start building a product of their choosing? And the outcomes were really amazing. We worked with people like Vitalik Buterin, who uh, is obviously the founder of Ethereum, people like Dylan Field of Figma, mm-hmm. uh, Laura Deming with the Longevity mm-hmm. Fund, uh, Ritesh with Oyo Rooms, like uh, their list just goes on and on. Yeah. And um, we knew these people before anyone knew who they were. Like yeah. it wasn't like, oh, Dylan, you're with Figma, cool, yeah. we're gonna <laughs> give you a grant now, you've done awesome. It was like, you seem like a really interesting, high potential person. <laughs> We're going to give you resources go and yeah. go for yeah. it. And what we found was that we always said in the early days of the fellowship, it's a two-year program with a 10-year time horizon. Hmm. And what we saw was that it was hard for young people to raise money. And there's a lot of lip service to um, giving money to young people and to dropouts and things like this. But I think most investors view young people as like potential interns for the portfolio yeah. companies. Mm-hmm. And so we said, hey, you know what? We could really do a fellowship 2.0 model as a venture fund because mm-hmm. the fellowship is great. It's very generous. But we're really only working with that one person. If they start a company, we're not working with the co-founders. We're not yeah. talking with teams. Um, it's really about that individual. And so we started 15, 17, seven years ago to kind of be this 2.0 version. So the fellowship is still going today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're just here more on the company side to help people get started. And the reason for that focus on the dropouts is that, um, one, we have that educational mission of proving that one path is not for all, Mm -hmm. um, being able to show that you can have an extraordinary career and be an educated person, but you don't have to have a piece of paper to, to show that you have that. I'm sure everybody who's listening has met that genius person that you're like, how do you know all this stuff? And they're like, well... (laughs) I just geeked out for 10 years and I know all this yeah. stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> um, and of course, then there's always the question of credentialing. You're like, well, how does that geek show that they know yeah. this stuff and so on and so forth? Um, but we're trying to sort of like put a dent in that per se. And, you know, our thinking is that, uh, you know, founders come to us and they're like, we're doing B2B SaaS and we finished at whatever school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, cool, there's tons of other money yeah, yeah, yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. Um so we just really like to be a place where people who are outside the norm can come and feel really comfortable. Founders have told us, like, this is amazing. I had a meeting with you. You didn't ask me where I went to school, what year I finished. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, some infographic I saw, like, a couple of weeks ago that came out that was, like, you know, the, the you know, the top, like, the partners at VC funds come from these schools oh, and the right. founders come from these schools. Yeah. And they were the same places. Same. Yeah, like, yeah. they were all the same places yeah. and... So, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, you, you went to wherever. Like, I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to see is the substance of what someone's making. I want to see the passion behind what they're doing. And there's a word that's come up for me really recently, like mm. in the last week, which is brilliance. Mm. And my colleague, Zach, said this thing. We had finished talking with somebody. And, um, yeah, Zach just said something that I found really profound, which is um, you know, we were talking to this one person. And... 
and my colleague said, yeah, this person is really smart, but I feel like they're missing like brilliance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a great distinction because mm-hmm. there are a lot of smart people out there, but brilliance actually has to do with color and light and like vivaciousness. And there's something about that that's so important to starting a company and moving something forward because you can be really, really smart, mm-hmm. but if you can't engage other people mm-hmm. and like get other people energetically excited about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We've seen that road be really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have that combo of like that excitement and that infectious energy, you can bring more people onto your team. And we used to ask a question and we still think about this question with 1517, but with the fellowship, when we would interview finalists, one of the questions we would ask ourselves at the end and we would have mentors at the event we'd ask them to check a box on this and this was this like getting at a guttural intuition Mm. thing did you have more or less energy after talking Mm. with that person it was just really interesting and so many people would come up to us they were like this is an incredible question (laughs) and we were like yeah it's so interesting like we don't even we don't really understand what's happening here but it's so clearly uh, something in human interaction that's important yeah so. There's there's a lot of yeah juicy stuff there. I mean, well, a it's cool to hear that the yeah the other thing is like there's like versions of alpha here too where it's like mm-hmm. look you, you like you guys as a VC fund you're trying to be you're trying to have a niche and, you know and that niche can be 100%. deep tech and dropouts. It's yep. like and if you have if you ran a B two B SaaS go, yeah, go anywhere Great. else you know go yeah there's a lot of yeah places. exactly um, so that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I also think it's. It reminds me a bit of well, it's funny because my current I have like current org called Brute, which is like yeah. a, like a little oh. nonprofit startup studio, cool. and we have a um, school as well, like a fellowship. And um, there's a couple funny things with it, but one of them that there's this funny conversation that happened the other day where it was myself, my co-founder, one of our initial like founding engineers, and then this person who went through the fellowship, and um, uh, my co-founder, he had like tried to drop out of high school because oh. he was like yeah. um, he was like, hey, I'm not in for this and then so he mm. tried to drop out but then his parents had an intervention um, <laughs> so that was his experience wow. and then this other guy um, he uh, the founding engineer he had um, he had just gotten he got into this really intense Palo Alto high school gun high school oh yeah and, um, yeah, yeah and um, intense. way intense and he was just talking about his he just like goes to school mostly like builds all these passion projects on the side or whatever yeah. um, and then this other woman she who went through the fellowship she is on her first gap year and is now on her mm. second gap year and we're all just like you should not you know like you're never gonna go to college and so yeah. um, and so I think there is like we were joking about like writing a book that says mm. like drop out of high school now yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know well I'm seeing more of this like I you know we sort of had this inkling probably I don't know a year or two two years ago of like it's not going to be young enough anymore to talk to people who are like 18 to 20 Mm -hmm. and so we've been talking with more um, young people who are in their early teens about what they're doing what they're building and it's just amazing I mean there's a founder I've been talking to who's like yeah I take pitch meetings in the high school bathroom and I'm like oh my god this is so insane or I did a teen group um, where, like, every Saturday in April, we would have someone who built as a teen, someone like Shahid from Loom or, um, you know, Stacy Ferreira from Forge, and uh, we would have them uh, sort of talk to the group and then hear, like, what their experience is like now. And it, sh- it just... It really blows my mind. And then there's a teen I've been talking to who runs a company called Slingshot. Mm -hmm. And what Slingshot does is they are getting contract and maybe even full-time hires. I'm a little unclear, but certainly contract work for high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And they're making lots of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that I think when young people have access to being in the economic world, they have a lot more freedom, period. And so, like, I've thought a lot... Like, or new, I wouldn't say thought a lot about, but I've noodled about like, if we could get, and I'm not a big crypto person, like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, okay, yes, holding, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but still <laughs> I think like, gosh, if we could give finance access to young people, whether it's crypto or USD or like whatever, um, that would open up a lot of autonomy yeah. for people. And so when I see young people at the age of 14, you know, contracting at a startup, I'm like, oh my God, like you're making more money than I made in my first job at 22 years old. This is insane. And how do you think about your career? How do you think about finance? How do you think about things like philanthropy when you're like, I made so much money and I'm only 24 years old. It's like, or I had an exit. Yeah. Um, Really, really interesting to me. But I think the whole world of like economics and finance and like 
miners, meaning people under 18, not, yeah. you know, Bitcoin miners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. I think there's a really, and I think that that is another, I was, um, cause yeah, for us, we're a nonprofit. So like our access to capital mm. compared to other things, like we have like a million bucks of funding or whatever. Mm. It's like, or like we offer engineers like 75, 80 K. And you know? so it's like, that means yeah. like you're essentially, you got to get the people who are part, like everybody super who's joined. Yeah. And, and they don't even get equity. So everybody like yes. takes a 50% wow. pay cut, 75% pay right. cut. Um, but right. it, um, and and it makes me think of these two. But they didn't sell their soul. They didn't say exactly. <laughs> they still have it's your important. soul intact. I was yeah. thinking about a friend yeah. of mine today yeah. who like works at Facebook, yeah. and he just joined like six months ago or so. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I hope he's okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, like on a human level, I'm mm-hmm. like, is it? I don't know. Is it? We often talk to people about like what is worth your time mm-hmm. and your yeah. energy because it's a finite resource. Yeah. And so so yes, the pay balancing the pay versus the meaning. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like the meaning. For, for those people has to be huge otherwise they wouldn't be there yeah totally and I think and I think and the thing I was going to say was that two of our folks who were working with us working with over the summer are folks who are seniors at Minerva University which is this oh, really yeah, sweet you know, systems yeah, 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 yeah. Um, university and yeah. they are um, they're cool but they, they were just talking about so they're still in this financial mm. um, thing you know this yeah. really sad financial where they're so worried about stuff worried about money and I, and, I, and I just tell everybody, look, like, you, you, like go to Emergent Ventures, go like, just get yeah, or like fifteen, seventeen funds. Yeah. You guys, yeah, we do did, grants also. You did, and you, like, yeah. I can't remember wrong, but they were just like yeah. free, like yep. go get thousand and was, bucks. Yeah, like here you go. And the thousand dollars can be so. Um, it's like those little bits of money, you know, mm-hmm. can be so big. So I do think there's part of this non-coercion piece is yeah. like in the freedom and autonomy piece is yeah. like your own ability to have financial resources to do stuff yeah, and so absolutely. if we just gave every 14 year old you know ten thousand yeah. oh. dollars that would be great so probably. this is interesting that you say this i don't know enough about it but i was skimming an article the other day about you know the buffett for- fortune mm-hmm. and um there's some sort of initiative that he's like okay yeah when i die like i want all my money to be gone within 10 years mm-hmm. and within this article i'll have to see if i can look it up and find it but it, there was some, there's some potential like children's initiative of mm-hmm. like basically I don't know if it's only U.S. or what, but like just giving children cash. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, yeah. yes, a hundred percent that. Like, and don't let their parents touch it. Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> like how do we yeah. how do we get that part going? Yeah. But it's interesting too because you know there's all kinds of incentives um, in terms of um, like educational savings plans and things like that. And one of the things that I often talk to parents about is like, you know, and this is getting to be more common now that it's 12 years past the fellowship, but like this idea of saving for your young person to be able to go do something and take a chance on something, not just go to college. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's a boot camp. Maybe it's taking a gap year. Maybe it's starting a startup. Mm -hmm. Um, And that these are all sort of viable. And I think it'd be interesting if there were more like tax advantaged financial instruments for parents to be able to set up their young people for that because things are just very different. I mean, most young people I know spend something like 50% of their salary on rent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's normal now. Yeah. Yeah. I think there would be a beautiful, there's a beautiful future world in which the, in which college post high school or mm-hmm. in who knows what will happen to high school and things, but it'll be like, yeah, college is not necessarily a four year choice that you make, but it's like, okay, you have this, like, just like the gap year life or yeah, yeah, yeah. piece and like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to explore this. Okay. This yeah. was good. I actually am going to go to college or I'm going to do this exploration for a bit. And like the money yeah. can go to that. Um, so I guess we're getting into pseudo wrap up mode and I, sure. I want to ask a couple, I guess the thing that I want to ask here is, so what you talked about with, do you feel more energy? When you're around someone, I, I agree with that. I think that that I just read Talent by Daniel Gross and Tyler oh. Cowen, oh, yes, which course, is a, it was a good book. Yep. Um, and it is it talks about a similar thing, which is just Energizer Bunny energy yeah, yeah. and just like how many yeah. fucking tabs you yeah. have open and stuff like that. And so yeah. I think there is those folks who and they say this in the book, like if you're looking for people in general, there's lots of different kinds of talent. But if you're yeah. looking for people who want to be like founders and yeah. like for highly creative people that can quote unquote make a dent in the universe, yep. that requires like uh, a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the energy. Mm-hmm. Tell me though for you, because I think about there's that side mm-hmm. and then and you're a VC kind of like helping that ha- happen. Mm-hmm. But then there's like, I don't know, like education more generally mm-hmm. and, and thinking about like helping young people overall. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like how do you think you've like found this niche, which is helping these young, like you've like raised people who are already at the ceiling, you're like helping them push the ceiling sure. versus like yeah. education more generally. And yeah, I, hmm. I'm not sure my total question here, but something about like, is the place, I, or let me say one other thing yeah. here, like root, the root fellowship, like we're thinking about, 
you know, we have a lot of folks who go through the program. You know, there's 15 students. I just chatted with them today for the first call, and it was really great. And um, a lot of them are, yeah, they are, but but there's, it's kind of like this thing where the places that they're flowing in the world are not necessarily the, like, venture-backed startup things. Um, But they might be highly impactful. Mm -hmm. And so, but I don't know about, it feels like the system that exists Mm -hmm. for, you know, VC-backed, folks is like yep. so much stronger than this yep. other system of like mm. you know like let's help people just like be their best human even if they're right. not this highly energetic person right right yeah it's interesting i think if i if i sort of see where you're going with this um where my mind is going yeah. is um first with 1517 we started thinking about a year ago like we started having this identity crisis of like what are we we're not a school like we don't like structured schools we will never be an accelerator program we don't believe in playbooks we believe that like each person's path is very unique not to say that there isn't things that they can learn um, but we're not going to prescribe something to them and then we thought to ourselves like okay we're not that but we also don't feel like a typical vc fund either we have very atypical backgrounds um, we work with atypical people, and so like, where are we? And especially being in our third fund, when you're in your first fund, you're a fund. You're just like, okay, this is all we got. Yeah. When you have multiple funds, you become a firm of like, okay, we have multiple vehicles. After you have a few vehicles, you get to start thinking about like, okay, what are we as an institution? And so we started thinking about this about a year ago. And what we came to was that what we are is an anti-establishment educational institution. And how we do that is through VC. Like VC is kind of like the tool that we use to do something, but it's not what we do. And so within that, we've built a very large community of young people um, over the past seven years. So some of those young people are like, I don't know, like if into full adulthood at this point. Uh, and they're doing different things. And so some of these people might be people that we gave a grant to. Um, where we used to call them a nudge grant. We've recently renamed them our Medici Project Grants. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these people are just like really interesting people we met at hackathons or out on the road, and we've had online communities, and we're doing things like the summit in July coming up where we're getting people together. But it's this idea of like, if your values aligned with us, we want you to be part of this community. You don't have to be a startup founder. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be someone who's like interested in unicorns. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who just has similar values of like loving to learn. I say with, we collect social geeks. Mm -hmm. And so it's people who love to geek out on things and share it with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And if someone has that kind of trait, they're probably going to just get along famously with, within our group and find their peers of people who just, yeah, just like love getting energized about ideas and topics with other people. And so we're creating that. And those people don't have to be in the startup ecosystem um, they could be working at other companies. Like it doesn't really matter to us. But what matters is that um, we're cultivating this ecosystem of people that can sort of help each other out over time. That they can share ideas with, and so on. And so that's our way of sort of going about it and having this um, like bigger than startups mentality because mm-hmm. not everything is supposed to be a startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's lots of great people out there that we want to have as part of our community, whether or not they're you know, involved in entrepreneurship. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think I think that's a, um, uh, that answer, I mean, and you could have had a different answer, which is sure. like, look, we are just purely, um, we're just, you know, VC-backed startup stuff, but as sure. you're saying, you're not. That is, no. and you have this unique frame on it, which is, um, which I think is really interesting. And as you noted, it's just like folks, I think especially like the, the Medici grants uh, mm-hmm. program is a good example of this, where you're yeah. just like, you just kind of throw on the money yeah, and, sure. um, and you're yeah. like, Hey person, you seem kind of anti-establishment education. Like you're yeah. kind of like a weird social geek, have some cash. Right. Um, totally. and yeah. so that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think there's a, there's a longer question about like the, like, um, uh, I don't know the like the like business models and the like systemic like institutional structures for like sure. how to do this in a way that's not purely um, outside of VC. But I think sure. um, uh, that will be a conversation for another time. I want to ask a f- some final questions here. Sure. This thing is saying there's a Zoom, but that's a lie. Um, <laughs> the um, a I want to do a tiny little bit of an overrated and underrated. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think that... I'm like, I'm not looking at the screen. Exactly. Yeah, you're not allowed. And, and you're trying to do 30 just, seconds each, you know? Of like, is something overrated or underrated? underrated. Exactly. Okay. Uh, is, do you think high school is overrated or underrated? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, largely, probably... Um, 
Well, I feel of two minds about it. I'm often a two of two minds person. Yeah. I would say like overrated in terms of sort of importance, but I would say underrated in terms of like you have all this super raw high energy potential at those age groups and it's being underutilized. And so I think there could be so much done there that would just be like so impactful. Like I can't even imagine if we just like let go of a bunch of the structures that are holding young people to sort of like lower standards. Um, so yeah, that's my, my two minds answer. Yeah. High school itself is overrated, but the high school students are underrated. Yes. Um, that's yeah, a great way to yeah. say it. Um, and then, uh, do you think that online learning is overrated or underrated? Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, hmm. God. Oh, I'm like, I hate binary questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, gosh, online learning, I guess I would say it is underrated. I think we haven't quite cracked the nut on how to do it super well. I think there's a lot of potential. I love seeing things like Sora Schools, which is an online high school that is doing that collaborative community piece. Um, and I think we're still learning, like, what it can really look like. So I don't, I don't think we've reached any sort of like escape velocity there, but I think it's, um, it's an area that I'm really curious about in previous years. I probably would have said overrated and been like, Oh, I'm so sick of all this. Um, but at this point I actually think it's underrated. Yeah, totally. Back in the day when it was all the, um, mass, yeah, the moves, it was just like, yeah, that doesn't really, yeah. I was like, yeah, that didn't work. Um, beautiful. Well, thank you for those. And I guess to, for a, and, and so we were, we were wrapping now cool. and, um, thank you so much for your, yeah, your uh, learnings. And I think for the listeners, yeah. uh, if you want to, you can, uh, check out Danielle on the interwebs on Twitter at D Strachman. That's yeah. D S T R A C H M A N. You can also check out, um, if you're like a super young person wanting to like do the teal fellowship, go yeah. do that. Yeah. And if you are interested in, if you're a dropout, um, deep tech, um, or sci-fi founder, yeah. um, who's interested in these kind of weirder super ways, early, yeah, yeah, super early things, then check out 517 fund. Um, anything else you want to say to our listeners today? Um, no. Yeah. Check things out, reach out. Um, and, uh, yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you everybody. And goodbye. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like the show, please give us a five-star podcast review or subscribe on YouTube. And if you'd like to chat about this episode with a community of amazing, smart, ambitious, divergent people, come on by and join our Discord. You can find it at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. And then finally, if you'd like to contribute to these ideas being shared more widely in society, you can support the podcast production team at patreon.com slash Lindmark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Thank you so much.